0: Well, today on the podcast, we're talking to Jordan Wallerstein, a former U.S. Army Judge Advocate, who's going to talk about his journey from active duty Army through a couple other places to where he is now. So, Jordan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tom. As they say in radio, longtime listener, first time caller.
0: (laughs) How long did you serve in the Army, Jordan?
1: It's a great question, and I have to make a correction to the record here. I'm still actually a reserve Judge Advocate, and we'll talk about that because I think it's a key transition question that I myself struggled with, but I spent seven years, well, I'll back up even further than that. I was an ROTC cadet in college. So I commissioned out of that program and, and had a choice before me to do the traditional army route, basic branch, combat arms, combat support, be an aviator, be an infantry ground pounder. But my program encouraged me or offered the opportunity to apply to law school at the time and defer my service, which is what I did. So the educational delay program was my route to the JAG Corps. And I spent after that about seven years on active duty.
0: You finished, your graduate ROTC, you went on to
1: law school, where did you go to law school? So I went to Cardozo Law School, which is in New York City great selection in terms of location because of the, the opportunities for clinical work, internships, externships while I was in law school, which I'll speak for the, the law comedian and say those end up probably being more helpful to being a practicing lawyer than your coursework. So I was really fortunate in that regard.
0: Active duty army, what what were the sort of the roles that you had during your seven years of active duty time?
1: I, my first assignment was to a large unit slash large installation. I was assigned to 10th Mountain Division out of Fort Drum, New York, which you know all the jokes. You can make about the weather and being located in southern Canada. I think it was a great first assignment for a a brand new Jag. And I did the, the jobs that most new army Jags do. I started in legal assistance. I ran a tax center and then I did administrative law those were my core practice areas. And I, to this day, even as a field grade in the Reserves, I've not done military justice, which I think is is atypical for, for an Army judge advocate. I keep waiting to get the call from TJAG saying, you know, you know Jordan, I looked at your record. You're, you're deficient in area. We need to slot you into this special assignment. But I think there's more recognition around specialization. So that's kind of what I ended up doing, but I will continue to do until TJAG tells me otherwise. Well, maybe this
0: podcast will be what causes someone to go back and look at your record. Yeah,
1: I volunteered, and that That's one of the first rules you learn is as an Army cadet, never volunteer for anything. So
0: from Fort Drum, what are some of the other things you did before you punched out and went to the reserves?
1: I got a call. This is not an exaggeration. I got a call one day from a colonel at the Pentagon who asked if I wanted to come work for him in D.C. And, you know, as soon as I heard D.C., I thought, this is great. Pentagon, something different. Sign me up. Now, the reason for that was, and this was one of these by name assignments, and I just right time, right place. I had been using a platform that was new at the time called Millsuite, in it's Millbook Variation, which is basically a, a social media and collaboration platform that DoD uses. And the army was just picking up on it, the JAG Corps was just getting involved. And so this was out of the office of the judge advocate general assisting with the newly formed knowledge management division, essentially allowing judge advocates globally dispersed law practice to better collaborate, better do knowledge management. You know, who's the expert on government contracts law and how do you connect that with that person in D.C. with the judge advocate on the ground at some duty station who's facing a perplexing government contracts question. So I went to D.C. and I did that. Dual had it as a, call it a knowledge management officer or strategic initiatives officer. And I also worked at Army Claims Service, which is a fascinating role. It's if you're interested in medical malpractice claims against the Army, or we were dealing with detainee abuse claims out of Iraq that had been pending for 10 years. So really interesting assignment, again, for a relatively new judge advocate. Those were my my roles that I did for a year. And then I, I kind of got another call and asked if I wanted to slide into a national security law assignment at the DOD level. And it was in D.C., so I, I jumped at that opportunity as well. And that's kind of where I, I wrote out the last three and a half, four years of my active duty time.
0: Which segues into the question, why did you decide to leave at that point?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. I looked ahead. I didn't need to look ahead. The Army had told me what was in my future, which was another PCS move to somewhere else to broaden my experience. Maybe they were going to tell me to go do military justice. Maybe they were going to send me back to Fort Drum to get ready to go to our graduate course. I really liked D.C. The Army PCS lifestyle had been hard on me and my personal relationships, and I wanted to stay in D.C. I liked it, and for personal reasons, I thought it was the right choice. I also thought professionally it was going to be hard to go from this national security law assignment back to a lying unit. I thought that would be a tough transition for me, so I wanted to kind of leverage that opportunity to find something new, you know, it was a decision point. If I wanted to stay on track, I would have to PCS and then go to the grad course, or I would have to jump ship as so many kind of senior captains do. At that time in service point in the Army and then go find a civilian job.
0: When you went looking, when you left the Army, what was in your scope of possibilities?
1: Yeah, you know, and I'll I'll say just for the reserve piece, having a break in service is tough. Let me be clear. My initial set of orders from the Army were a clean break. Full resignation of my commission, I was walking out the door, I would have no IRR obligation or anything. I had those orders in hand. And a few mentors pulled me aside, in particular, one Marine judge advocate, now colonel, that I I would give credit for talking some sense into me and saying, look, you haven't done the reserves yet. Try it. Do a tour, two or three years. Don't have a break in service. And if you really don't like it, then you can resign at that time. So that's what I did. And I had a couple of requirements for myself and, and how I was going to find a place to land. I needed a paying job, right? I wasn't getting a pension, right? like that. So I needed something to keep a a roof over my head, pay the bills, etc. I wanted something that kept me in the D.C. area. And my final requirement was that I wanted something that broadened my experience. And to me, I translated that in my head to I, I can't stay in DOD land. I turned down to job opportunities within the broader Department of Defense world, which is quite large. And I understand it it means a, a whole lot of different things because I, I thought that I would peg myself as an army guy. And I thought that was the wrong first step coming out of the Jack Corps. Those are my rules. I guess it's like three, three and a half rules there that I was trying to deploy requirements as I was looking for roles. Where did
0: that drive you to apply?
1: <laughs> Everywhere, essentially. So I had a couple of different parallel tracks going. So one track was the USA Jobs track. There were plenty of other federal agencies that met all of those requirements and, and kept me from, in my mind, being pegged as an Army guy for the rest of my career. So I spent a lot of time on USA Jobs. And I should also note that due to special hiring authorities or some legacy systems, a lot of federal agencies don't use USA Jobs directly. They might have a posting on there, but you have to go directly to their website to apply. So it was like the USA Jobs Plus that I spent a lot of time on. Um, That's not a joke. I probably had at one point 50 pending USA Jobs applications, and very few of them resulted in callbacks, probably because I could have spent more time tailoring my application. But I thought it was a numbers game, which I'll come to in a moment. It ultimately was, at least to me, or at least for me. Another track was I had never, even in law school, worked at a law firm. And I thought, okay, maybe this is an opportunity for me to do that. You know, That's such an integral part of the legal profession. Maybe I should try it. So I pursued that pretty aggressively, mostly through network contact and some cold applications to firms in various practices that I thought I might be qualified for. Everything from government contracts and compliance to cybersecurity practices. I looked at, I applied mostly medium and large firms because I thought that would be the best experience for someone with no law firm experience. I thought that would be the most authentic in, in my head, again, never having done it. And pursued that pretty aggressively again, got some interviews but didn't ultimately land any offers with law firms. Oh, and I even looked at knowledge management positions. Law firms still to this day have attorneys who are running their knowledge management programs. And I think a lot of firms just didn't know what to make of me. And maybe I didn't push long or hard enough, but they they looked at me and said, well, what's your value proposition, right? What are we going to set your hourly rate at? How are we going to make money off you right off the bat? And where do you fit into our promotion scheme as a now lawyer who's got more than seven years practice? Now you're a, a senior associate, and pretty soon we have to start considering you for partner or, or counsel role. And I think that was difficult for them to justify. And then the final track was, and, and notice these these all have a theme, I'm I'm staying in the legal profession at this point in my career. The final track was the most unlikely track, which was the I'm going to go straight in house somewhere. And many people told me you do, you don't do that. You go to a law firm first, like you don't get to go in house. That's the promised land for lawyers for a bunch of reasons. It's not going to work out. And for a long time it didn't. I think at one point with Amazon alone I had 12 or 13 pending and then ultimately rejected applications with them that just didn't go anywhere. At best I got a an Amazon recruiter on the phone who told me, you know, we could maybe get you a job but you have to move to Seattle. As we discussed, that was a non-starter for me. That didn't fulfill one of my location criteria. So I wasn't interested in that. So ultimately, through all those processes, I landed a job at the Department of Justice, which was a phenomenal place to land. You know, I was I was broadening my horizons in terms of I'm not in an Army DOD land anymore. And it was prestigious. Even a law firm or an in-house legal department would recognize that experience. And it would, they would understand it more than they would seeing judge advocate on my resume. And I think that ultimately helped me when I was then reapplying to about a year later.
0: So you went to DOJ and how long were you there?
1: I was there for a year. It was not my intention to be there for a year, but a job with Amazon opened up in Arlington. That really interested me. So I had to apply for that. And I should also note, I was at DOJ during, I've lost track of the number of government shutdowns that I've experienced while either on active duty or as a government civilian. But this one, I think this was January of 2018 or 2019. And another government shut down and wasn't even sure at Department of Justice if we were going to get paid or if we were going to be working and we were recalled. We were told that we were essential. So we were recalled back to work. And so I had a little bit of free time on my hand to pursue this. I should also note for for those that do the reserves, being at a federal agency is kind of a match made in heaven. If you want to continue your military service in a reserve component capacity, it's with the military leave and the benefits, it's just a really good fit there. And that worked out well as my first year trying to figure out what it meant to be an army reservist in a TPU or troop program unit position and a legal operations attachment. Like what does that mean coming off active duty? What do I have to do and having a civilian job that was predictable and stable with that military leave built in to try to figure that out. That was really helpful for me in that transition year.
0: You got a call back from Amazon, I take it, and then you interviewed. So what was that process like going through Amazon, the interview process and being hired by Amazon?
1: I think it's worth taking a step back though, because I didn't go in through the front door with a cold application this time. I had tried that in the past. It was not working. If there's nothing else that folks take away from the discussion that we're having, I want to convey that your network, specifically your military and veterans network, is probably your greatest asset. That's why we're talking today, Tom. It's why I recognize so many of the names of other folks that you've had on your podcast. So that network, through a series of connections, a judge advocate basic school buddy of mine had a lawyer friend who had just joined Amazon not too long before me. So I was able to use that connection. And I had another army judge advocate that I had served with who had joined Amazon, I think a year, maybe two years prior to me. Through those connections, I was able to connect to the hiring manager, get my application noticed, my resume noticed, which really helped get a human set of eyes on my resume. And it also helped that they needed someone with a security clearance. The timing was fortuitous for me in that I still had my security clearance. I was a year out. I was still in government. <clears throat> and this particular role, for reasons that we'll discuss in a moment, that's what they wanted. Yes, they maybe could have found someone from a law firm, which is still, I think, probably the largest recruiting source for in-house shops, Amazon included, but it's much easier to find someone coming from government with a security clearance. And I know now that my backfill, so spoiler, I eventually left Amazon three years later, but My backfill was also from Department of Justice, also had a security clearance. So not that there's an archetype, but maybe there's an archetype there. So anyway, so that's how I got my application noticed. So I don't want to discount the importance of that. Uh, But I can talk specifics about the application process.
0: So to reinforce your point about the statistic that most jobs are obtained through networking and connections is just a fact of
1: life. Anecdotal from my experience, but I think it supports the data, broader data about that. So not to discount the importance of putting together a really good resume. I think that's all necessary. But the extra oomph you need sometimes is that human connection. And that's where your military network comes in. Because I found, you know, even when I was looking at law firms, I could cold call a partner there who may have served in the army back in, say, the 70s. I'm a Vietnam era, you know, army officer, maybe enlisted at the time, got out, hasn't touched it since, would be willing to talk to me simply by virtue of the shared Army experience. And that's a very powerful thing.
0: I, you know, And it's something I don't think we appreciate until we talk to individuals like yourself who did that. So the application process, what was the process yes. like getting on board Amazon and what did you do at Amazon?
1: The key here, having that network and, and folks who had gone through it before, I knew what to expect. I spent an enormous amount of time preparing. Probably throughout the whole process, I spent 40 to 60 hours of my own time prepping for these interviews, and I probably overdid it. But that was just how I thought I should approach it, and ultimately wow. successful. So validation of probably over overworking myself and overpreparing. But but the first step was a, a phone screen, right? A phone interview with the hiring manager. High level questions about my experience. You know what what I had what I had done. You know why I thought it'd be a good fit for a role for the role. And and it was tough because I think. It maybe has changed a little bit now, but I think most phone interviews are voice only, audio only, and, and no video. So it's really hard to gauge the reaction of your interviewer. It's also really hard because, so you're not getting those visual cues and all of that that you would over video. And it's also really hard because Amazon interviews require the interviewer to take a copious amount of notes and produce basically a report or assessment of you. So they are furiously typing while you're talking. <laughs> and when I was there and actually did phone interviews, uh, it it is hard to balance giving, you know, any, even just sort of uh, an auditory confirmation of your interviewee and what they're saying when you're trying to take notes on what, everything that they're they're giving you. But anyway, so got through that. And then that puts you, you know, that's the initial screening hurdle. It's meant to be a high bar because once you pass that hurdle, you are, so the company is committing a significant amount of of folks' time to interview you because you enter what's called the loop, which is the Used to be the on site interview process. Now I think they do many of them completely virtually. No panel interviews, it's all one on one. And it's four or five interviews, usually throughout the course of a day, each approximately 45 minutes to an hour. Almost everyone is going to be from your team or your vertical. So I was interviewing with Amazon Web Services, so the cloud computing division of Amazon, so their legal team. By policy, they would bring in someone as a the bar raiser from another team who is the most experienced interview who has gone through a rigorous training process and really wants to make sure that you're better than I, I don't remember the the definition they use, but something like better than 50% of the the folks that they already have on staff that you're raising the bar for the employees. So that's supposed to be the most, not not most rigorous, but you know, the most experienced interviewer who's supposed to, you know, maybe poke holes in your experience or your cultural fit or personality. And and for me, we did that all in the course of a day in person. So by the end of the day, you're pretty fried and you just maybe want a beer and a burger to to unwind. And I completely forgot, you know, in, in all of that, it seems like a minor point now. But after the phone screen, there was a, a writing project where you're asked a hypothetical and essentially you're writing a legal memo in the form of an email. And I understand that they've discarded or deprecated that program. They're doing something different. But at the time, your client emails you and says, Hey, I want to do this, that, and the other. What do you think? And what's really cool about being in-house, I found, was the ability to provide the business advice. It's not just a pure legal, here's what. The law says it's like, here's what I think you should do the the council hat, which I quite enjoy.
0: How long of a process was this? Did this last weeks, months? How long between the time that you applied and you got the offer?
1: Well, it was very fast. I think I can't time it from when I applied, but it was two weeks. It was two weeks since I did the the phone screen till I had an offer. So, wow. so very fast, and I think that was fast even by Amazon standards. I think usually it's maybe three to four weeks is is more typical. Um, they do something called rolling applications, rolling screening, in the sense that if they have a good candidate, they're going to push you all the way to offer rather than putting you in a, a holding pattern, you know, or queuing you while everyone else gets through the process, and then they weigh you against the other the other folks. It's if if you're able to pass those those hurdles along the way, you're going to get an offer. And if not, you're going to drop out and they're going to keep pushing people into the pipeline until they find the right person. So it tends towards a a faster process, I think, because of that.
0: You gave a spoiler that you went Amazon Web Services. I assume that this was able to capitalize or related to some of the experiences you had on the Army that made you the most attractive candidate and as well as what you were doing at DOJ.
1: Yeah. You know, Well, before I answer that, I want to go back to something that that you picked up on, which is this. You know, judge advocates know how to counsel. Judge advocates, you know, are able to give risk-based advice to commanders. And I think that's probably one of our, not one of our our most valuable skill and most marketable skill. As one senior officer once told me, army officers are paid for their judgment. And I would assume it's I can make a joke about Navy officers and the Air Force and the like, but I assume it's the same across the services. They're all paid for our judgment. And I think and figure out how to operate that to what it is. The legal answer you'll figure out, you'll do the research, maybe you'll work with outside counsel, but it's, is this a good idea? What makes sense here that you really bring to the table? And I think judge advocates are particularly good at that. But yeah, so going back to to the role itself, my position was a generalist position, right? So we, we were advising on AWS infrastructure, which, which is a fancy term for data centers, right? It's more than data centers, but that's the easiest way to understand. It's data centers and the things that connect them, empower them, et cetera. But it's basically a large-scale, global-scale network of industrial facilities. You are kind of like a mini general counselor, SJA running those. You're not running them. your, Your business partners, your clients are. But you're advising them on everything that might come up. In the process of that, you're partnering with more specialty legal teams. Maybe you're calling your contracts, Bubba. Maybe you're calling the health and safety expert down the hall. Maybe you're working with product compliance, construction other especially legal teams to bring to bear all that skill and, and shepherding it to try to that, again, global scale network of facilities in compliance with the law efficiently, et cetera, et cetera, safely, all those things that you'd want to do, reduce risk. Like that, that was the role. And I think the connection there was, and it, it's all public information, but Amazon has a small number of very large government contracts with the US government supporting national security programs and agencies. So, you know, Amazon needed folks with security clearances to support those customers.
0: And you did that for three years. I did. Was it something that you felt you had reached your potential? Was it just that another opportunity came along that you thought was time was too good or that you needed to take advantage of to continue broadening your horizons?
1: Yeah, I'll come back to, you know, what it was actually like working yes. at Amazon. But I, I think... To answer your immediate question, I started after the two year mark, I started to feel that that PCS itch a little bit. I said, okay, someone from personnel office, my branch manager is probably gonna be calling me soon and saying, hey, what do you want to do with your life? We have this great job for you somewhere in the desert, but it's a really great assignment and you know the SGA is great. You should really think about it. I was expecting that phone call, facetiously, of course, but but here, uh, you know, so I started thinking, well, what's next for me? Am I gonna stay? doing this for the next couple of years? Should I start looking around? And so that's what I did. I started talking to people. Amazon did and, and probably still has an internal transfers program where you could go to another team, legal team or not. There were lawyers from Amazon Legal that joined business teams and you know did not practice as a lawyer. So I thought I'll, I'll continue practicing law and started looking around see if there are other teams that I could transfer to, do something a little bit different. That was the first inkling that I had. And and ultimately, during that search, I I opened, I broadened the aperture a little bit and started looking outside the company and and found a really cool opportunity, which we can talk about a little bit later. But that was what started is just thinking, okay, I don't, I know I'm not going to, I could do this forever. I know I don't really want to for my career progression. So what's what's next for me? I will say no one at the company was asking me to do that or pushing me to do that. I think the preference was for me to stay. The internal transfer program at the time was still relatively new. There wasn't a cultural push by anyone to really encourage folks to rotate. I think it's a little bit more common now, but it was me sort of being my own career manager that kicked off that process. And what are you doing now? So of all things, I joined a blockchain software startup. Totally out of left field was not something that I was proactively seeking, but it it came to me and it sounded interesting. And it, it's still going back to my you know initial requirements after leaving the service. It was ge- geography fit. It broadened my experience. I wasn't, you know, I was past the point of being pegged as, a, as an army guy for the rest of my career. So I thought, okay, this is something that I, I think could be a really interesting learning experience.
0: You never would have seen yourself doing something like this when you're a captain Wallerstein leaving the army
1: that that is true i i did I did have kind of like a hobbyist level interest in the tech industry I say hobbyists like, oh, I like tech I like gadgets and devices, and you know, was a customer of most of the the big tech companies, but I think most of us are at this point, so <laughs> that didn't really say anything special um, about me or my my skill set. but yeah, I, I didn't I didn't imagine it at all. Um but I think it's this this being open to new possibilities, right? I didn't you know i when I was looking at Amazon, I thought, okay, I want to work for Amazon. I I didn't think I'm going to work on data centers, you know, and infrastructure. That's how it played out. It was immensely valuable. So I, <laughs> that offered me kind of a unique unique, unique perspective, yeah. but it wasn't something that I had imagined when I was in the service.
0: It's kind of funny because you get that call from your branch manager saying, "Hey, we want you," or that call from the colonel in the Pentagon saying, "Hey, I want you to come and do this," the knowledge management piece or whatnot. And we do it. We, we think, oh, okay, that's great for my career. An 06 is calling me, wants me in this position. Only good can happen from that. And yet, when we look at a whole different skill set outside of the military, we think, wow, I don't know if I have that. And here you are continuing not only with that PCS mindset of, hey, it's time to switch jobs, but you know, maybe young enough or dumb enough, or maybe both, or maybe wise beyond your years of saying, yeah, I, you know, this sounds interesting. I'm I'm willing to do that. I'm, I'm willing to take that risk and figure it out. And, you know, that's what always kept us excited in the military, you know, of the new challenges and the new jobs. So I think there's a lot of truth there, but I wanted to circle back. You said that we could talk about USA jobs. And I just thought, if you had some specific points on that to talk about that, if not, we can move on.
1: Yeah, I'll, I, I will talk about that. Although I don't think I'm the expert, given the numbers game that I I won, but almost lost because of the amount of time I spent on. I will say though that mindset, that PCS or that service oriented mindset, where you show up and you're willing to take on new opportunities, it has happened to me again. I I took this role I'm in now as more or less a security council, like cybersecurity, physical security council, like that would be my portfolio. And not long after I started, the general counsel said to me, hey, Jordan, you know, I know you signed up for this, but would you be willing to take on the employment law portfolio too? <laughs> and what do you say as a judge advocate when you ask that question? Yes, ma'am, Like happy to do it, whatever the team needs. The jury's still out on that one, whether it was the right call, but I, I think that does open new doors, new possibilities, having that kind of mentality. So going back to your, your question, though, around USA Jobs, it's almost like a running joke to complain about USA Jobs and how much of a black hole it is. So that's why, you know, when we were talking about it a little bit earlier, to really identify the agencies that don't use USA Jobs, mostly national security agencies that have their own separate portals, just because the volume is less on their end, I think, because it's harder to find. When you're on USA Jobs, you create one resume and you can apply to 100 jobs in a day if you can click your mouse fast enough to get through all those, those pages. I think my only advice for USA Jobs really is going back to this idea of, having a human connection there. If you even, you know, through LinkedIn, know someone in that agency or, or anyone that can maybe pull your resume from the stack to help you out. I know it doesn't exactly work like that because they use machine learning and algorithms to screen most of the resume for keywords and people have written books on that. So I'm not going to tread into that territory because I'm no expert on what those algorithms are looking for. But I think it's that human connection and, and trying to find someone at the agency who can be your advocate or at least give you a tip. Hey, this job is probably not going to work out. They've already identified an internal transfer that they're likely going to hire for this role. So you should probably wait till the next one. That would be my <laughs> my not so great advice on USA jobs. But I'll say too like the position I ultimately landed was not through USA jobs. So I'm batting zero for that platform. Is
0: there anything that we promised or that you had intention to discuss that I haven't asked but you really want to put it out here.
1: Yeah I, I think most people and you probably have the same question about what is it actually like working at Amazon. I think that's a big one. And it's usually in the form of a leading question, which is phrased like, how much do you love working at Amazon? That's usually how it's phrased. Like, I, I'm not a law nerd. I don't read SCOTUS blog on the weekends. But being a lawyer part is my profession. It's work to live, not live to work. So I, I think it's a grass is greener scenario. People think coming out of the service that Amazon is going to be the promised land. And I, I kind of had that mentality too a little bit. But ultimately, I realized it's another assignment. It's another job. And it has pros and it has cons. We'll start with a con, which is kind of a fun one. The coffee that they serve in the break rooms is garbage. For an army, an army guy, that's critical. You need good coffee in the morning. Now, I shouldn't complain. In, in the military, you're contributing to the coffee fund and trying to make that happen. So we shouldn't bemoan you know, the free coffee. But you know, I would often be ribbed a little bit by a friend at another tech company. I won't say the name, but it rhymes with Google where they would have a barista in their break room making coffee, where the Amazonians, due to its frugal culture, would be making our, our own C-grade Starbucks pre-round coffee. That's all kind of in jest, a minor point. But I, I think it goes to speak about the, the company's culture more broadly, that there's no frills, really. It goes to their frugality principle that you're really focused on the work and there's not a lot of frivolous spending. The, I think the other con, which we, which we talked about, Tom, is, is the op-tempo, right? the pace of the work. It's an enormous volume of work and a really blistering pace. The silver lining there is that you can really build incredible experience and work on some really cool, innovative projects. But it also leads to burnout. People will accuse Amazon of being a grind, so you have to learn to triage, which I think many judge advocates know how to do and and react in in crisis situations very well and manage that stress. The plus of it, of course, is is the scale and that you know the builders culture, where you can take on new projects and. They were the resources. The company is willing to commit resources to projects and new ideas. And you you go out there and you can find so many stories of new Amazon projects that were proposed by an employee who wrote a a six-page document about it. And that was the genesis of some new billion-dollar program that they have or business that they built. The other thing I'll say that's really unique to Amazon is the military-friendly environment. And there is a really robust and active affinity group there, Warriors at Amazon, for the military community. I was a part of that. And we had a, an affiliate or a chapter within the legal team that I founded. So essentially the military community within the legal department, you know, we were given free reign to have events. We sponsored one year the Veterans Legal Career Fair. We were involved with the Military Spouse JD Network and sponsoring them and their events. So there's a real opportunity there for veterans who want to reconnect with that community. And Amazon's willing to back you up with resources and support and time to do that, which I think is really, really cool.
0: Hey, Jordan, I could talk to you all day here, but I'm going to be respectful of your time and I actually have to go. So thank you so much. This has been enlightening. And I was going to call you out for wearing your military swag from Amazon. And I was also going to point that you have a snowshoe hanging on your wall, which is obviously from Fort Drum, New York.
1: That's right. They don't give those out of the Pentagon. So yeah, the snowshoe is is on the wall. But yeah, Tom, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I'll say too, uh, you're doing a, a great service to the community by building this this repository of knowledge for transitioning judge advocates. So we, the collective, we should thank you for that.
0: I appreciate Jordan, and this has been great, ladies and gentlemen. Jordan Wallerstein. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW Fifty Associates LLC production.